0: You're listening to a Morley Radio production. Welcome to ArtCast Season 4, Episode 2. ArtCast is created by Matt G, Program Area Manager of Fine Arts at the Chelsea Centre, which is part of Morley College London. The podcast is an informal series of discussions with professional artists, designers and accompanied by students and today I'm really pleased to have Misha Notley with us. Misha was born in Tokyo and later raised in Manchester. She's cultivated a unique perspective that transcends borders and cultures. So currently she lives and works in London and has a very multidisciplinary practice which I'm really excited to talk about her work delves into the intricate web of social, economic, and political systems that shape our contemporary cultural landscape, and the designs are characterised by their speculative and future-orientated nature. They invite us to question the very foundations of our world and to imagine alternative and often absurd possibilities. Misha, how are you doing today?
1: Hi, I'm really good, actually. I I've been kind of in a storm of work, but I've had a bit of time to relax a bit, which is nice. And it's nice to um, actually speak to other people because a lot of my day is sat sat in my room, not speaking to anyone with my hoodie over my head. So yeah, very good, thank you.
0: So it's quite a solitary part of your practice you're going through now.
1: Yes, definitely.
0: So, like the first question we ask all our guests is, "What is your favorite color and why?"
1: I always used to think blue, but nowadays I'm really leaning into pink. I don't know, very, very feminine imagery. Um, I don't know why um, pink. <laughs> I love pink. Cool. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: And I want to talk about some of the collaborations you've done with musicians, but I was wondering what sort of music Mm -hmm. you're listening to at the moment. And um, have you got particular music that gets you into the zone in the studio?
1: Well, I've been listening to mainly podcasts, to be honest, Um, Truanon being one of them. Um, And then I just stick NTS radio on basically, because I get decision paralysis yeah I love into
0: music to yeah. yeah yeah cool did you uh, see that they had a festival last actually it wasn't last year it was this year yeah
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't get to go i think uh, there was another festival on at the same time, but yeah, it looked amazing yeah, it was great um yeah
0: yeah did you go yeah yeah, yeah. theo parish was really good
1: oh um, amazing.
0: So how was things at London College Communication? That's where you went, right? And you graduated quite recently.
1: Yeah, Yeah. so um, I did a course called uh, Design for Art Direction which is quite a unique course in that it focuses purely on like kind of the managerial aspect of design and um, well not purely the managerial side but kind of trying to marry the managerial side of, like, project managing, like an art-based project, as well as tying in some fine art context as well. Mm -hmm. So I'd say it's... uh, I I had one foot in the design aspect of... Yeah, of design and um, one foot in the fine art world. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and uh, then I did a diploma in creative computing um, in my third year uh, which kind of changed I think the trajectory of where I wanted to go with my work. And that was at uh, CCI Creative Computing Institute mm-hmm. and that was when I kind of picked up a lot more of the fundamentals of creative technology and kind of how to um, I don't know how to have a more interactive practice. So yeah, I really enjoyed university. Although I feel like I was there for a very long time.
0: (laughs) Okay, so what are the main your sort of main subjects of that influence you at the moment? Mm
1: -hmm. I think at the moment, so recently I've really enjoyed kind of having a looser relationship with like my work and kind of putting more emphasis on the aesthetic and visual language rather than maybe Mm -hmm. like the conceptual or contextual basis of like a project. So I've been working a lot more experimentally and um, especially with AI as well um, because I've used it a lot within my freelance work and kind of, I don't know, I've seen the potential... It to kind of streamline some processes that usually take a very long time with 3D animation and mm-hmm. creating some like very nice visual outcomes just through using technology. So, I think the theme at the moment is experimentation, and yeah, that uh, I've not really done a lot of like carried on my research practice. Uh, so heavily because I've been so like experimental, but yeah.
0: Yeah, and what sort of software and hardware do you use for your practice and is Mm -hmm. there sort of uh, glitches and sort of unusual hardware-software combinations that you experiment with?
1: So at the moment I'm using um, Stable Diffusion and I'm kind of really grateful that I had this diploma in um, creative computing because it was a pain to get set up basically and I took it upon myself to go the like non-user-friendly direction in that I was running everything um, locally on my PC and then basically using code to generate these kind of uh, visual outcomes Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah I don't think I'm that would have been possible for me to figure out had I not done this year in creative computing and learnt like the fundamentals of code. So mainly stable diffusion, but then also Photoshop, Cinema 4D as well for when I'm kind of going back to basics and actually manually animating, which is also very fun.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and who would you sort of dream collaboration be with? Or has that already happened?
1: I think my dream collaboration. So, yeah, to be honest, my dream collaboration already had happened this summer when I was working with Apex Twin mm-hmm. for his line of summer shows, live shows. And I basically kind of got put on that project. Not through chance, but I, I I like to think I engineered it somehow because I was a big fan of uh, the artist Weirdcore, who mm-hmm. um, is, was the director of the the visuals for these shows. And I had used him as a source of inspiration at uni. And I remember showing his videos in like crits and stuff. and And then I ended up basically working for him and freelancing for him. Basically through the like latter end uh, of uni, mm-hmm. and I knew he was friends with uh, Richard Twin, so I was kind of fingers crossing that I would get put on an Twin project. But yeah, I think that was a really kind of it was it was a long period of time where again we were experimenting a lot. But yeah, it's a very it's a very exciting time to be able to use all these kind of very new technologies to create, I don't know, quite, quite, like, interesting visuals. And as I say, these kind of technologies and softwares, some of them I was using had only been written, only been created in the past Mm. few months. So in terms of, like, the cutting edge, uh, we were trying to stay on top of that at all times but yeah it's a very exciting time for digital art at the moment i would say
0: yeah yeah i was gonna talk to you about that because i was at that gig as well <laughs> field day oh. um oh yeah and yeah so he's one of my favorite uh producers of all time in terms of music um and yeah i guess as an experience uh, there was a little bit of apprehension from I guess your sort of Aphex twin obsessive fans you know you've seen him at places that are in closed spaces before so like print works and it was sort of a bit unsure about him playing in an open air venue but it is probably one of Mm -hmm. the most incredible like open air experiences it somehow it was incredibly powerful and visually and in terms of the sound um Mm -hmm. and yeah it must have felt like a great buzz to have your work at that that sort of scale um I was wondering if you could like talk a bit more about that process because about Mm the sort of how you sort of were involved with the, because you worked on the sort of faces as well, right? Sort of faces Mm -hmm. that are morphed into sort of his faces Mm -hmm. and there's like a a history of uh, the sort of like donkey rhubarb teddy bear that he had in the nineties where he's got his face on it. And then there's also like music videos where he's got his face imposed on various characters and, I remember at the field day gig, there was uh, the England Lionesses football match the next day and there was an image <laughs> with <laughs> with his face on all of the, the women's football team. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was wondering if you could like dig a bit more into that sort of process and was it was it sort of directed by them as well? Um, and yeah, yeah, it seemed, it seemed like a really fun project as well. And it must have been a great buzz to see it on that scale and sort of touring around because yeah. it wasn't just at London as well, it was...
1: No, no, it was at um, kind of uh, a range of European cities and each kind of set of visuals were made specifically for the uh, city that it was in. Um, To say the celeb faces, they were all like the celebrities, or regional celebrities basically. And in terms of like what bits that I was involved with, so Weird Core directed all the visuals um with like obviously Richard twin signing off. But yeah, I was involved with kind of all aspects of of the visuals. Mainly the kind of AI generated faces. But yeah, I was mainly um on the celeb face morphs and there are a few generative animations that um, were also created using AI <laughs>
0: um,
1: which were kind of extrapolated from pictures of um, Richard's music like instruments um, so they were kind of those pictures of his collection were edited and kind of morphed into, like, a loopable animation. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, the celeb faces were really fun to do. Um, They were also done using Stable Diffusion.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And there are a lot of faces to do. (laughs) And it was quite time-consuming. But um, I was just really glad to be able to have some input and suggested... Few faces that I thought would generate some sort of response from the crowd, which uh, I I think I think it uh, it did. Like um, Molly May, I just I think she's um she's like quintessentially British. Um, <laughs> yeah, Zoella, a few other people, but yeah, seeing that in real life as well because I was there at the show hmm. was amazing. 'm I'm, I'm very short though so I had to like <laughs> I had to move right to the side almost to a point where I couldn't really hear but like now I've got I still got to see this stuff on the screen so yeah it was a lovely moment
0: yeah great and you you also worked on these like squashed faces of uh Apex twin's face um with yeah. they were they produced from life or did you work from him actually squashing his face against some glass or um, yeah? did you sort of just was it imagined or was it a part of AI as you mentioned and then that was then transformed into a window decal for um, Strange and Paradise Records
1: Um, Yeah, yeah yeah. Um, So with those um, I worked off a bunch of photos of Richard's face against glass and then yeah as you say um used stable diffusion to kind of mesh it all together and basically trained an ai model um on pictures of richard's face squashed up against glass and then used that data basically to generate a entirely new image mm-hmm. so there's still some realism there but then there's also a that bit of fantasy which kind of yeah it looks a bit I guess um, disjointed yeah
0: (laughs) great okay cool so let's move on from Apex Twin Um, Mm because I am a massive (laughs) fan uh, but I'm also a massive (laughs) fan of your work Um, and so let's talk a bit about the porcelain sort of like figures that you almost create and I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about the sort of character design and to what extent you sort of make them game like and immersive as well and this like Mm -hmm. concept behind things such as the um, opus pods and how you sort of choose the sound designers you work with because I think that's quite a key Mm -hmm. part so yeah there's quite a few questions there so maybe we just talk a bit about (laughs) the sort of the porcelain like figures and how or Mm -hmm. if that's something you intend and and the sort of idea Mm -hmm. of games and immersiveness with the viewers Mm
1: -hmm. Um. So I think a lot of, like, the themes that um, come out through my work is kind of game-based. And I'm not too sure why, like, I I think I'm just drawn to gaming imagery as well as, like, how gaming can be used as, like, a tool to kind of, for narrative. And especially during the end of um, my degree, I was very much into like imagining alternative futures and how I could weave this kind of gamification of life um, into it. And then naturally game looking characters were kind of spawned out of those projects. Um, But yeah, in terms of like the, so, so I think, I think the gaming influence is kind of sustained throughout my work and now they're kind of morphing into something else and through like the porcelain like sculptures or portraits I kind of um, wanted to bring the digital art a bit more to life and um, kind of explore a bit more about how I could bring these digital narratives that I was talking about on the internet uh, into real life and into a more like tactile space so um yeah, in terms of gaming, there have been a few projects that have had that as a narrative. Like my final um, kind of project that I did at uni where uh, it was about the future of money and how uh, this video that I created um, painted a picture of um, an alternative future where um, people generated their income through uh, dance machines, like arcade dance machines, Mm -hmm. Um, and um, how the instability of, like, cryptocurrencies could, like, derail the whole um, future economy. Um, Because the theme was that you dance on these arcade machines and then you earn like cryptocurrency. Um, but as we've seen in recent times, um, how cryptocurrency is so unstable, um, these kind of characters that are playing in my game kind of lose all their money uh, just through uh, market instability. So yeah, it, those times of like, those types of game structures, i um, really in, interested in and also like the aesthetics of them as well even though I'm not like a huge gamer myself but I like to borrow from that kind of from that vis- visual language
0: mm. yeah yeah I saw on your Instagram as well a photo of a flooded bitcoin mining farm This,
1: yeah, yeah. which I thought was <laughs> a
0: really interesting image I didn't yeah and then I looked into that went yeah. down a bit of a rabbit hole because it's, it's basically this image of a yeah, bitcoin mining farm that's been flooded and it's just um believable it's an unbelievable image um
1: mm, this idea mm. of like
0: the fragility of existence and how like anything like human made even currency can just be wiped out like that um
1: yeah yeah definitely i find that it's super interesting
0: <laughs> yeah and um your piece, uh, Do Androids Dream of Care Work, is a sort of mm-hmm. manifesto that sort of you say is coming out of your research into like automation technologies within the waged and unwaged labor market. So mm-hmm. it's like, and it accompanied a web VR environment where users can edit the tapestry to dictate their own future of automated work. Um Mm-hmm. and there's an image on it of it on your website. Is that still available to interact with? And I was wondering if you could say a bit more about how that, that evolved. And
1: Yeah, um, I need to double check if that's actually still live. Um, it was live at the very beginning, um, but yeah, it was a kind of it was from the research I was doing for my dissertation, which was about um, automated technologies and how that could kind of the increased use of automated technologies could or how that could impact the like wage and unwaged labour market and especially there was a there's a central theme where I was interested in kind of unwage labour, um, in terms of a lot of say domestic work that women do that isn't accounted for within like the and then the labour market or like standard economies so i was i was looking at technologies and art pieces that kind of streamlined a lot of women's um domestic labour processes and the consequences that could have on markets and whether that could kind of lead us to um kind of a utopia basically, where no one has to work or no one has to do the the jobs that they don't want to do. So it was all very like... Mm. So now I was talking about a very fantastical future, but with this piece, it was a kind of manifesto mm-hmm. of sorts of how one could use automated technologies in like a fair way and also... It, there, there's a tapestry in this vr environment where users could come and type in their own um manifestos um so bringing in this aspect of kind of everyone can can make, like customize what they think about the future for themselves But yeah that was a very long time ago that was at the or actually not a very long time ago but um The beginning of last year, so it feels like a very long time
0: ago. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, the beginning of last year does seem like a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like going back to the sort of interest in cryptocurrency, one of the things, uh, especially coming out of the pandemic, we were asking a lot of artists each time about NFTs and mm-hmm. if they've made them or would they consider them. But I guess with yourself, if you could. Talk a bit about that, but also where you think the world of NFTs is because it was obviously very prominent, I guess, last year, but maybe not so much this year. And mm. yeah, I wonder what you, how you feel about that world at the moment.
1: So I think my opinion has kind of uh, fluctuated or maybe just, I don't know, I've learned more. So I'm able to make it more, better, better judgment about NFTs. But at the moment, I don't see a future for NFTs. And I was involved in a few NFT projects since graduating. And especially when NFTs and cryptocurrency became such a hot topic, I think, yeah, during the latter end of COVID, um, I was really interested in um, how digital artists could fairly sell their work and in the same kind of way as, say, artists that make paintings. Um, mm-hmm. And I had this quite, like, interesting environment where I was living in a house share with a bunch of artists and um, most of them were painters and they were able to sell their work in quite, like, a tradi- traditional where, you know someone contacts them they like the painting they ship it and then they get the money and um i guess it was kind of a perfect the nft boom was kind of came at perfect timing when i was also thinking about how digital artists can be paid fairly and mm-hmm. so i i did sell well i tried to sell a piece on zora which i'm not sure is like still exists anymore Couple years ago now, um, mm-hmm. and it just kind of sat there. I think after I did that and kind of did my research into how expensive it is to actually put something up for sale right. on the marketplace,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I kind of lost interest because the um, not in terms, not only in terms of like the actual cost. I think it was about forty quid for me to even just upload this. 15 second clip onto this website but like the gas fees in commas like the fact that it generates so much power or it uses so much power to mint these artworks in the first place hmm. and i guess the whole is because it's um encrypted and everything on the blockchain but i don't know it just doesn't feel it just didn't feel like a viable option for me to kind of didn't feel like the most streamlined way of selling my work or being mm. paid for my work. And I don't know. I guess there is always going to be a distinction because digital work isn't. like doesn't have the same tactility as like the real, real life art. You go to a museum and you can like actually wow. Well, if they won't let you, but like touch the painting in front of you and it kind of induces mm. a, a visceral reaction mm. where I think like with digital art, it's a lot harder mm. to kind of, I don't know, feel the emotion coming out of the screen. Um, so I do understand why it's a lot easier to be paid a lot of money for physical paintings and you know physical pieces of art um but yeah i'm kind of at the moment still thinking about where digital art could go and kind of the context in which they could be it could be uh viewed and bought (laughs) but maybe not through nfts i don't think
0: Mm. yeah it's tricky because there's a with a physical work, you get more control, I guess, mm. over how it's displayed. But when a digital yeah. work is displayed, someone could just dis- display it on a on any screen or any sort of way that they mm. feel. So that's another factor. So, if you've got any sort of favourite commissions co- uh, that you want to talk about, I know that on your website, I was looking at Orbit, which was uh, the promotion of the like uh, winter program, which showcased emerging female non-binary and trans talent as well as LGBTQ plus artists Um, and so I was wondering if you talk about any other commissions as well you've been enjoyed working on?
1: Well at the moment I'm working on like a music video for an LA based artist and it's kind of it's one of the first big projects that I've been commissioned to do kind of in my style which is really really flattering and yeah, I, I don't know whether I can say too much about it, but um, yeah, it's just a short music video and kind of within my kind of gamey, anime style. But yeah, it's because music also has been a, a huge influence in my practice. And um, I'm always aspiring to work with musicians. So yeah, that's a fun project that I'm working on at the moment.
0: Great and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your work as a creative director with salt magazine
1: salt is kind of defunct now (laughs) um I haven't been doing that for I haven't done that in like years basically but um it was this Manchester based arts and cultural magazine (laughs) that existed online and I did a couple like features and stuff with them but um yeah, sadly, that doesn't exist anymore.
0: But is, is it still archived and available for people? to Yeah,
1: yeah, out? yeah. So at our website, Salt so Magazine, you still read back on all their posts.
0: Okay, great. Um, How about the uh, Thursday's Child Community? Can you talk a bit about how you've become involved with that and what that entails?
1: Yeah. So the Thursday's Child Community is a network of artists it's mainly photographers actually but um photographers filmmakers and digital artists um that kind of get given briefs from clients um across mainly fashion um but also music um art and yeah i'm just within their roster of artists um and they have this licensing section as well where they like refer to the artists that they have on their roster and uh, license their work. So it's kind of, I guess, a bit like NFTs and that clients will buy images that you've already made off of you um, so they can use that for their own purposes. But yeah, I, that's um, a very new collaboration, so I'm yet to do much with them, to be honest. But uh, all the artists on their kind of list are producing some really nice stuff. I am kind of very flattered to be on the list, but yeah.
0: <laughs> Great, sounds good. And can you tell us about any exhibitions you've got coming up?
1: I don't really have any exhibitions at the moment. Um, I've been purely focusing on freelancing at the moment. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of where my focuses have been, but I've also been kind of, I do part-time nannying as well. So <laughs> at the moment, there's a lot of stuff that I'm kind of preoccupied with. I would love to um, get involved with some curators though in the future. And yeah, especially within the digital art sphere because that's still obviously very like exciting realm to be in, but.
0: Okay, great. We ask all the people that come on Artcast if they had an art school that they were going to open. What would I guess like the sort of manifesto, or if you could design like a handout for students to take away with some advice, what would that, what would that be?
1: Hmm. Good question. Um, try to be as open as um, it can be because I think it's very easy to kind of shoehorn yourself or your practice and be as experimental as you can be I think that really really aided my practice in that like I didn't just purely go down a I don't know a painting route or a I don't know a knitting (laughs) route um I I kind of wanted to have like a multidisciplinary practice um so, yeah, be as experimental as you can and try not to worry about your image as As hard as that is. I found that very hard in university where it's kind of, I feel like there's a lot of pressure to advertise yourself and kind of portray the image of the perfect creative. But I don't know, I think if you're just creating stuff that you like and you feel aligned with, then that's all that's needed really mm. to... Yeah, to, to carve out an art career.
0: <laughs> Sounds good. I was going to ask what advice you'd give to students as well, but I guess that sort of covers mm-hmm. it. And by image, you mean sort of focus on just creating stuff you want rather than like sort of...
1: I think a bit like, I think your self-image as well as your kind of, I don't know, what you want your practice to i know. I think mainly it's self-image because it's very easy to kind of feel like you're the one selling yourself as a creative rather than your practice and it feels like everything just gets mixed into one and then you have to start thinking about like what clothes you wear to uni and Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that's a lot of added pressure when really yeah we can be focusing on different things but um yeah all encompassing.
0: <laughs> cool. What are you up to for the rest of the week? You've got, you said you're quite busy at the moment in the studio. Uh-huh.
1: So for the rest of the week, I am just working on this music video and I'm um, doing a bit of nannying and then doing a bit of, oh, actually, I'm going to Fabric on Friday <laughs> for my friend's birthday. I think it's Scream, who's playing. Oh, Scream. Um, yeah. Sort of yeah, like dub, yeah, dubstep.
0: I've, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
1: And I've never been to fabric before, which is blasphemous seeing as I've lived in London for about six years or so. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see
0: Yeah, what fabric's like.
1: Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> well. um, yeah. yeah.
0: It, the, do you, mm. you know the um, TV show from the 90s, Tomorrow's World? uh uh-huh. Have you heard? No. So it was like a show. And if you – yeah, on YouTube they've got um, – Really interesting archival footage from an episode of Tomorrow's World where they actually go to Fabric, yeah. <laughs> not like for a oh. night, but they talk about the yeah, yeah. the sound design and the sound system because oh. the floor in the in the main room is um, got loads of subwoofers underneath the dance floor, and it's uh-huh. it's oh. got like uh, the vibrations are timed just off the beat by a very split second, uh, which makes it quite an incredible immersive experience. Oh. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. That.
1: Yeah, I just thought it was the the big club that everyone goes to, and was it in Batman or something? Was um, it? Or was that? Was that another? Yeah, I think it was um, used for a club scene in Batman, and I saw it and I thought, yeah, that looks about right. But yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, very good sound. Okay, well, mm-hmm. thanks so much for joining us today, and no worries. Um, we really enjoyed uh, learning more about your work. Um, Thank you. thank
1: you for having me
0: on thanks for listening to ArtCast season 4 episode 2 for this episode we were joined by Misha Notley, you can check her work out on her website at MishaNotley.com for the next episode we will have multimedia artist animator and filmmaker Alfie Dwyer and we will also be joined by two of our level 4 foundation students as well